This is the John Oakley Show podcast. Here we go. It's hour two on a great day for talk radio, long holiday weekend and all. And, uh, you know, there is some positive news to, I guess, in part. Uh, and that has to do with folks who have actually come through the ordeal onto the other side, because too often we're focused on just how detrimental all of this is to uh, a person's well-being. Craig Lee is one such. This is a fascinating story. We might recall that it was back in early March, uh, and the first vestiges of this scourge were rearing its ugly head. Uh, There was a cruise ship uh, that was bobbing off the coast of Japan in Yokohama, and that's because several people had been identified as having COVID-19. Well, uh, Craig Lee is one such, and uh, he's here to tell us about it. He's repatriated to Canada, retired teacher from Richmond Hill, has joined the Oakley Show at Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Craig... How you doing these days? Uh, I'm doing quite well, actually. I just have to make a correction. Uh, it was not. Uh, it was February the fourth, not March, uh, that we went into our first quarantine on the ship. Wow. All right. So, but two months. I mean, this is the craziness. The uh, arc of this whole pandemic in two months. How the world has turned over several times. Uh, but you had a an early taste and a foreboding, uh, I guess, of this whole thing when you uh, were on this ship. Uh, tell us what happened. Walk us through it when you were first diagnosed and what led up to that and how you felt at the time. Okay, I was on a cruise, 15-day cruise of uh, Asia. We went to Hong Kong. We went to uh, Vietnam. We went to Taipei. Uh, We ended up in Yokohama, which is right next to Tokyo. Uh, And after the 15-day cruise, we found out that one of the passengers who was only on the ship for five days from Yokohama to Hong Kong, when he got off the ship, he felt sick a few days later, and he was diagnosed with the virus. So our ship was ordered to return a day early into Yokohama Harbor, at which time we were not allowed to get off the ship. And we were quarantined the next day. The captain came on the announcements and said at 7 o'clock in the morning, uh, until further notice, everyone is confined to their cabin. Uh, our ship has been quarantined. So uh, the day before, we had a, a sea day, which means that we had run of the ship. We could do what we wanted to do. We had our regular meals and regular places. We had coffee with friends. We went to the fitness club and everything else. Then everything changed. We, uh, we were locked in our room. We were not allowed out. Meals were delivered, and unfortunately, we were in an interior cabin. Uh, for 14 days, uh, which was a bit scary. Um, but we did have um, an enhanced Wi-Fi. So we had uh, television channels, we had movies. Um, we also were able to use the Internet quite strongly after a while. They increased the broadband um, so that I could use Wi-Fi um, and I could use WhatsApp and I could use uh, FaceTime. So I was in contact with my wife and son here in Richmond Hill as well as other contacts uh, using emails. So although it was a bit scary, I tried to put on a positive face. Uh, and things got better as the quarantine went on. After two days, we were allowed to go on deck for the first time and get some fresh air. The Ministry of Health took over the running of the quarantine on the ship. So the captain was the middleman between the passenger's crew and the Ministry of Health. So we did get out, got our fresh air, um, we had to wear masks. We had to stay two meters away uh, from the other passengers. And we had to use hand sanitizers the whole time. The captain was constantly making announcements uh, in English and then 
because we had a thousand Japanese nationals on, um, we also had all the announcements in Japanese as well. The ship's uh, crew didn't sign up for this, but they were um, in charge of bringing food to us as well as drinks and crossword puzzles and newspapers and water, taking our garbage out. Um, and So the quarantine wasn't entirely unpleasant, but it was the idea, the prospect of this thing starting to spread. And uh, did you know uh, from the reports in the outside world, including in China, just how severe this pandemic was getting? Uh, indeed, we did, because we had the regular news channels. Um, and on the second day of the quarantine, that young doctor, the ophthalmologist in China, died. Uh, mm. He was a young man, uh, and I'm 72. And that scared me, because I thought, good heavens, if such a young man, doctor, can die, I, you know, the chances are it's going to hit some people here on the ship as well. Right. Um, everyone. Let me just ask you, Craig, because I'm kind of curious now. So uh, as this was all playing out... And seemingly everybody's kind of uh, going along and they're biding their time. As you say, it wasn't totally unpleasant, the quarantine. At what point did you realize that you were a carrier as well? Because my understanding is you were asymptomatic. Right. Um, They started testing the 80-year-olds and up on the ship uh, and those with chronic asthma and heart problems. And then they came down to the 70-year-olds. And so I was tested on the 13th of uh, February. On the 15th, there was a knock at the door, uh, and it was a Japanese doctor saying, uh, Craig Lee, I suggest, uh, you've tested positive for the virus. Uh, You're going to be taken off the ship and taken to a hospital. Um, And at that time, my stomach just sank because I was planning on going to Camp Borden, to Trenton, and then to Cornwall for the mandatory two-week quarantine of Canadian passengers coming from the ship. We'd arranged with the Canadian embassy uh, for our flight and everything else. All of a sudden, all those plans were taken off the table, and I wasn't going to leave Japan. So uh, what happened then when they took you off the ship? As I understand it, they took you to a Japanese hospital. This was a new built uh, facility, but that was rather unpleasant for you, I guess, in the throes of being a long way from home and being told you've got this disease. Uh, Quickly walk us through how that whole ordeal uh, transpired. Okay, well, they took me from my room at 6 o'clock on the 18th of February. I went to deck four, and I was marshaled off through a blue tunnel. They had everything covered, but you couldn't get any fresh air, onto a bus which had curtains uh, pulled, and everyone on the bus was positively um, tested for the virus as well. Every other seat was occupied. I was one of the last ones on the bus, and I sat in the back, and this was 6 o'clock, and we weren't going to leave there until 7.30. So we are sitting on this hot bus with these masks on, uh, and I started getting claustrophobia. So I went to the doctor who was on the bus, and he was in a hazmat suit, as well as the driver and the nurse. And I said to the driver in English, I can't sit back there. I'm going to get claustrophobia. Well, he understood that I was going to be nauseous. So he put me near the front of the bus in a jump seat, a seat which folds down between the aisles, uh, and I was fine after that. But what should have taken five hours to get there took nine. Um, The reason is it was a convoy of seven vehicles, two police cars, uh, two buses uh, with positive um, tested people on a negative bus, and then two trailers with washrooms on. So after an hour and a half, we would get off the bus in the dark, and we'd have to use the washrooms that came with our little convoy, and then we'd get back on the bus for another an hour and a half and get off the bus and then use the washrooms again. 
But a nine-hour trip, nine I was just going to say, it's <laughs> to get to the hospital, this is something you didn't sign up for when you went for a cruise out in the uh, Far East. So how long were you actually in this hospital then, and what was that treatment like? <laughs> well, it was day and night between the ship because we had a view of outside. I could watch birds flying. I could see the, the rain. They were tearing a house down near the hospital, so I watched. It takes two weeks to tear a house down, John. Mm. Uh, I thought they were putting shingles on when I first arrived, but all of a sudden the roof disappeared. So they're tearing the house down. Um, the food was quite good. The staff was very warm, although they didn't speak English. Um, they tried as well as they could to make sure that we were comfortable as we could. Uh, every second day, we were given a, a polychain reaction test, and that's where they put a, a swab at the back of your nasal passage. And they mm-hmm. And I kept getting positive and positive, and then I got a negative, and I thought, great, one more negative, I can go home. Well, the next one was positive, mm. and that scared me. But when I had the negative test done, the doctor didn't do it correctly. Instead of going to the back of my nasal passage, he just went to my nostril. So when mm. I was going back to my room, I thought, he didn't do that right, and he didn't because I got a negative, and I shouldn't have. I think it was a false negative. Right. So anyway, I phoned the Canadian Embassy, who were very supportive, and they put me in touch with a Red Cross doctor whose name was Patrick. And I explained my situation. I said, I want to go home. My wife is uh, using a walker. My son's high-functioning autistic. I've been away since January the 17th. I need to go home. Um, so I sort of vented to him, and he took all of my details, and he said, well, I'm going to consult with a colleague and get back to you. Uh, but before he could, I got two negatives. And finally, after 16 days of that quarantine, on top of the 14 in the ship, uh, I've got um, a discharge from the hospital, and we were able to come home. 16 days there, though, in the hospital in Japan. From what I understand, the treatment was rather exemplary, and the people were courteous to a fault, and the food was great and everything. Did you feel anything, though? I mean, uh, having it, but being asymptomatic, I guess... This is where it fools people, uh, why you were shocked or surprised to find that you were actually testing positive there. Uh, were there any feelings at all, like uh, going through the, th- the thing that your body was, you know, just not right, something was amiss? Nothing at all. Uh, absolutely nothing. I am... Um... Everyone on the ship, all 3,700 of us, were given a thermometer, and we monitored our temperatures three times a day uh, while on the ship and then also in the hospital. Uh, and my temperature was always normal. I had no breathing problems. I had a good appetite. I slept well. I got exercise. And in the hospital, they had a piece, an SPO2, and that is the oxygen saturation point in the blood. And mine was always 97, 8, or 9, 99. Uh, which is great, anything below 95. So in other words, my oxygen in my blood was fine, so my my respiratory system was fine. I think I'm one of the lucky ones uh, that gets the virus um, because I had no symptoms. I was asymptomatic. But, you know, I could have passed it on to anybody. Um, so Absolutely. Well, this is one of the concerns that people have with asymptomatic people uh, insofar as the testing is not being done unless you've got symptoms. Uh, folks can yeah. be out there and the contagion can be spreading. But here's an exit question. There's a, a rather interesting development now because doctors are determining that people who have had it, uh, such as yourself, it would show up in the blood's antibodies and the antibodies could, uh, I guess, be transferred to very sick patients as well. 
given that knowledge, and I know the FDA in the United States yesterday approved this, uh, so they're trying it, and uh, it's been done in past with different uh, types of diseases and that. Now, with the seriousness of this one, if your blood has the antibodies, and I'm assuming it does, uh, would you consider that you would be a donor of blood or plasma to somebody who's in the throes of COVID-19? Uh, I certainly would, um, but there is a problem there. I phoned uh, Canadian Blood Services because I am a blood donor, and I explained the fact that I'd had the virus, and they said, well, you can't give blood for 156 days or something. Whether they'll make an exception, I don't know. I don't know what the uh, protocol is going to be for that, but I'm certainly willing to use my plasma to help the people out. Finally, Craig, uh, as you look at where this thing is really taken off and uh, become amplified and, you know, the tragedy that uh, it's engendered economically and, of course, uh, medically as well. I mean, you really did dodge a big bullet, didn't you? Uh, I, I'm one of the lucky ones. People want to sit next to me because they can't get it from me. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. yeah. So there's uh, something to be said for, I guess, having the security of immunity now. But fascinating yeah. story, and we're glad to have you home. Uh, great to relate that, uh, as many people obviously have faced a similar ordeal, but uh, not with the same outcome. Craig Lee, 72-year-old, retired teacher from Richmond Hill. Really appreciate it. All the best. Enjoy your long holiday weekend. You're welcome. You too, John. Bye now. Thank you. Thank you. Interesting. You know, I usually tell people, stay healthy. Uh, you know, he's pretty much got that one covered off, though. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio. 